Hi, thanks for tuning in. I'm Danny Hill, the monk on a motorbike. Today I'm talking to Professor Mark Booner about how we make decisions. I've always been pretty indecisive, so when I learnt recently that you can formally study the decision-making process and how to make better ones, I wanted to know more. Mark's a professor of cognitive psychology at Cardiff University in Wales, where he designed a course in decision-making which he teaches to final-year students. When I looked at some of the material on the course, I was struck by how logical and mathematical this process can be, when to my mind much of it seems to be intuitive and emotional. And maybe that's why I'm so indecisive. Here Mark talks about what constitutes a good or a bad decision, and why numbers and logic are an important part of the process of making good decisions, and also why people can't get their heads around the terrible odds of playing the lottery, and plenty more besides. For clarity, we talk at one point about decision-making and coaching, and if you're wondering what the connection is, both Mark and I are currently working towards becoming certified coaches, and we know each other from the training course. If you want to get a taste of what Mark teaches, then check out his YouTube lecture, which is aimed at his uni students. Just Google Cardiff University Psychology Taster Lecture Decision-Making on YouTube. I'll put a link and some more suggestions for further reading on my website, www.monkonamotorbike.com. Enjoy. Hi, Mark. Hi, Danny. Welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time out to come on, uh, come on this show. My pleasure. <laughs> so I listened to your amazing lecture. It's a very pithy sort of 40 minute lecture you give for Car Cardiff University as a taster module for your decision making process. Um, and mm. I've got to say it was fascinating. It was really amazing because you talked a lot about what makes good and bad decisions and how we make decisions. But what really struck me was how mathematical and logical the process of decision making was and how it can be broken down into its component parts um, and in, in it you, you go through quite a lot of sequences of building up um, how we make decisions and they keep cycling back so we'll, we'll go back to this a little bit but I, I'd really like it if you could talk a little bit about these processes and I think you started with something that was really interesting was what makes a good decision and what makes a bad decision and actually they're not always what we think they are. Mm, yeah thanks thanks Danny. Um, yeah I mean ultimately you know that's that's what it's all about really you know when both in my in, you know when I when I designed the module for the students. I mean, uh, decision-making is an interesting topic, but I also wanted the, the students at the end of the course to have an understanding of, you know, what is a good decision and how to make better decisions. Um, and of course, yeah, I mean, we have to begin by actually, first of all, knowing, well, when is a decision a good decision? And so it's very tempting to think, well, a decision is good, when the outcome is good, when things go well for me, you know? Um, and actually I, I do this exercise. I ask the students in, in the class, I ask, you know, think of an example of, of um, a good decision that you've made in your life, and an example of a bad decision you made in your life and write it down. And, and I don't ask them what they write down, but I, I basically then ask them, okay, you know, tell me if the good decision was one when, when things went well for you and bad decision one things went badly for you. And it's always everybody you know, the good decision is a decision where the outcome was good, the bad decision is one when, when things didn't go so well. And so, so, so it's very tempting, but uh, sadly, it's a little bit more complicated than that <laughs> because most of the time, um, many decisions that we make involve uncertainty, you know? And so um, we need to take uncertainty into account. And so just because, an, just because a decision went well, doesn't necessarily mean the outcome is good. And a very, a, a really trivial example of that is, you know, if you bet your entire life savings on the number 13 on the roulette table and you win, well, good for you, but that was a pretty stupid decision to have made, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and likewise, um, you know, a, a more macabre example, um, and I think this is actually true, it's some, sometimes, you know, um, there's a particular kind of car accident, a freak car accident, where 
um, you know, the the person would have been better off if they not had they not worn a seatbelt, like if they where the seatbelt basically traps them in the car and they can't escape and then die. And so when an accident like that happens and, and you know, the person tragically dies, we wouldn't go and say, well, it's their own stupid fault. They shouldn't have made a, worn a seatbelt. I mean, that was a good decision to wear the seatbelt. But in this particular instance, unfortunately, it turned out badly. So, so the quality of a decision, then we can say, is not just a function of the outcome, but in a way, you know, we need to put the outcome in relationship to the risks, the uncertainties that we face. And very often what that involves is basically, you know, when there is an uncertain decision, we can get outcome A with probability X and outcome B with probability Y, you know, expressing it more formally. And a good, a good decision is one typically where we put somehow, and we can talk about this in more detail later, the outcome and the probability into a relation to one another um, to get at what's called an expected value or expected utility. And then we, we go for the choice that gives us the highest expected utility. So that's sort of like the de definition of what makes a good choice. And, um, one last thing that matters there is the context. So what is a good, you know, what's a good outcome or what, you know, it's a good utility is, is not, is, it also depends on the context. So, you know, going back to the roulette example, um, it's a pretty stupid decision to, to put all your money on, on uh, you know, the one number or in the casino, but say if you, if you have a terminal illness and you've got, you know, three months to live, and there's a life-saving treatment, but you haven't got the money. It's like, you know, 10 times your life savings. Well, then maybe putting your entire life savings on, on the roulette table maybe isn't such a stupid idea. I mean, you know, because you're going to die anyway. Um, so, so sometimes, so the me message here is depending on the context, extreme risks sometimes are worth it. Sure. There was a couple of there's a couple of things I'd like to pick apart maybe later, as you say, there's a couple of jar terms you use, which are very value and utility, which which I think we'll, we'll, we'll revisit mm. in a bit. I think before that, what I'd just quite like to do is just just to give people an example of the flavor, this sort of basic mathematics of decision making. And I say this because this is something we're going to come back to in a bit, because before I saw, saw what you were talking about, to my mind, you know, decision making is very emotional and intuitive and all these sorts of things. Sure. And it's, I think that's very common. And it's probably why most of us make bad decisions. And actually, there is a lot of logic and there is a lot of maths. And you gave some really nice examples. And again, that they change with the context. I think it was around throwing the dice and, and certain outcomes on dice. Very mm. and how you would make decisions on that. I think it was the snake. Yeah, sure. I mean, for just, I, I mean, I don't think most of us make bad decisions. If we, if we would, then we wouldn't be around. <laughs> you know, we wouldn't have survived. True, true <laughs> we, yeah. <laughs> we, we evolved, um, you know, m m humans have evolved, you know, because we, most of the time, we make, you know, well, let's say adaptive decisions, decisions that allow us to survive. Um, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I mean, um, you know, most of the time in day-to-day in -day life, we do make intuitive choices. And, and as I say, most of the time, those, those choices are, are, are pretty good. I mean, it's, it's, it's when things get a little bit more complicated, complex decisions, where these kind of more formal models um, can be useful. So I'm, I'm not for a second suggesting that we go around you know, with a calculator, um, you know, and, and do a calculation on whether we should buy the chocolate or the vanilla ice cream, <laughs> you know, that would be, that, that's crazy. Sure. Um, but, sure. yeah, sorry, go on. No, 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 go on. I was just going to just, just nudge you onto the, those little bits of basic maths, if that's all right. Yeah, so, I mean, so, so that it's just the example of what is, what is expected value. Um, and I mean, so, so very often in, in the decision-making literature, uh, when, when um, so if you get books or, or this kind of stuff, um, very often these terms are explained with gambling uh, scenarios. And the reason for that um, is, is very simple, that um, gambling is about money 
and so we can all agree the kind of the value of money it's it's a nice scalable value we all know five pounds is five pounds ten pounds it's 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 you know ten pounds is twice as much as five pounds and so forth it's 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 a dimension that we have a shared understanding whereas if we were talking about you know how much we enjoyed uh you know the new top gun film uh then then you know my measure of under of pleasure might be very different to yours um you know so so with money so that's that's nice a, a simple scale and the other thing about gambling is that gambling um the you know the uncertainty in in gambling situation is is tractable you know we we can compute it we can calculate it very easily and so um so so if we consider a simple uh, game of of rolling two dice um the cal- the the, the, the calculations of the probabilities of, of certain outcome uh, outcomes are very simple so the example that i had in the lecture um is on um rolling snake eyes which is t- two ones yeah on two two dice and so how likely is this outcome well um it's one over six times one over six so one over 36 because we, we have two two six-sided uh, dice and each of them has a one over six probability of, of coming up with the number one. We throw two of them, so we have to multiply it. So one over 36. Um, and so um, just to uh, put those into relation to one, so, so how to put the outcomes and the probabilities um, in relation with one another, let's imagine a gambling proposition where I say, you win 10 pounds if you roll snake eyes and you lose 10 pounds otherwise. Um, and so should you engage in this gamble? Well, probably, hopefully, you'd immediately say no. But we can for- formally prove that by saying, oh, well, let's calculate the what's called the expected value. And what, what is that? Well, we put uh, the, the outcome and the probability that's associated with the outcome in relation to one another. So there's a 1 over 36 chance that we win 10 pounds. And there's a one over 30, uh, sorry, and there's a 35 over uh, 36 chance that we lose 10 pounds. And so, I mean, if you if you do the maths and you can calculate that the expected value of that, um, so if you add those two up together, um, is negative. And in fact, it's like, you know, minus 9.44. Um, right. so, so that means on average, if you play this game, you stand to lose. And now, of course, we knew that in that example already. Um, but um, where it gets then a little bit more interesting is, for instance, imagine that I'm I'm a lottery and I say, hey, Danny, uh, here's this fantastic gamble called Snake Eyes. And if you win, um, you get I give you 10 pounds um, and I'm selling you tickets for the lottery to play this game. How much would you be willing to pay? Well, then so that's a choice because the decision is you either say, forget it go away or you buy a ticket so you part with some money and so so i mean the expected value of not buying a ticket is zero because nothing is going to change right so the expected value of buying a ticket well when should you buy a ticket well you should buy a ticket when the decision maximizes your expected utility maximizes your so we know the expected value of of winning uh, so just again, we have 10 pounds and we win with a probability of one over 36. So that's just 28 pence. Right. <laughs> so if I'm prepared to sell you a ticket for anything less than 28 pence, you should buy it. It's a winner, right. <laughs> because, because it maximizes your expected value. So if you spend, so if I'm prepared to send, sell you a ticket for 10p, you should definitely buy it. Right even though you might have to buy an awful lot of tickets <laughs> but eventually if we play over and over again we'll get there. you know you will you'll get there and, and you you will stand to make money unless i'm cheating and i'm you know and not a fair lottery the die are loaded and but that's you know a separate separate scenario i'm, I'm gonna I, I, there's a few more bits i'd like to take out of your uh, you know, utility and value and status quo. And stuff. But you've just raised an interesting point there. And this is one of the classic decision-making things. And again, I don't know the numbers and you probably know them better, but you know, you hear the chances of winning the lottery are 
just infinitesimally small of winning, you know, getting a big win. And yet every mm. week people carry on spending not big sums of money, but reasonable sums of money. And some people go, that's stupid, but yeah. the odds on it. And yet, and this is sort of going back into that emotional intuitive thing, and yet people carry on doing it just on that yeah. chance because the win is so huge. I wonder if you could. Yeah. Yes. And that's that's a, a question that we sometimes uh, have on the exam to the class. Right, okay. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. why do people buy lottery yeah. tickets? Because on some level, you could you could argue it's irrational. Because yes, the, I mean, by definition, um, a lottery must be designed so that as a player you start you lose money because otherwise the lottery will go bust. And I I think I believe the history of the lottery the lottery was I think invented by Niccolo Machiavelli oh, right. as a means <laughs> as a means um, for the state to raise right. income and taxes. It's, it's, I mean, the Tories could, uh, the Tories would love it. I mean, you know, because taxes are, taxes are bad. People yeah. don't like to pay taxes, but give them a lottery. Sure. They're going to throw, throw money at you because you, you dangle this in front of them, you know, this, this possibility of a win and they like it. So, so is it irrational? Well, there's a, a, a number of ways we can think about that. I mean, so, we mustn't reduce the utility in this instance just to money. So some people, you know, they just enjoy the thrill, the anticipation of, oh, maybe I've won. You know, that's pleasure, you know, uh, in, in its own right. And, and that may well be worth it. Now, if people, of course, I mean, gambling is really tricky because, um, you know, it can become addictive and there's, you know, obviously, you know, gambling addicts. Um, and let, let's not talk about that. I think that that's a separate separate subject, yeah, really. Sure. Um, yeah. um, but, you know, for the sort of, you know, uh, majority of the population, it, it just might be something that 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 they enjoy. The other thing that's 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 probably in there in in why people play lotteries is that that um there is a weird thing that people overestimate really really small probabilities How so you, you can well so you know the probability of winning the winning the jackpot is vanishingly small i mean we could work it out we could work it out how small how small it is it's so small that it's very difficult for us to even apprehend how small it is um but people they think about it they act as if it's more likely than it actually is so basically whenever something is incredibly unlikely um we sort of overestimate the likelihood that it will happen and that so that's another thing that that sort of comes into play that people people buy the lottery ticket because they they overestimate the likelihood that they win i mean another reason why people keep keep on buying the lot, lottery tickets is um that's actually it's a phenomenon called the gambler's fallacy is you know this kind of thing like well i've i've bought lottery tickets for a month now and i've never won i'm i'm do a win now you know this kind of thing, and um, and basically because they think, well, you know, I'm bound to win at some point, at some, you know, at least something. Well, what they fa what what that kind of reasoning um, misses is that each lottery, the lottery has no memory. You know, each Saturday, it's a new, completely independent process, and the fact that I bought a ticket last time has no bearing or even the lottery numbers you know so then you know this thing oh the number 12 hasn't come up in a month so therefore it's going to come mm. up next time you know that's that's just not true it's it, it sort of strikes me what you're saying as well but it's partly partly down to the fact that you know people like myself included just aren't very good with numbers those sorts of odds and big numbers mm. and so you know we, we don't sit and do the maths and secondly, I think there is also, I think you're, you're hitting on it there about these people can't quite get it. 
a grasp on the chances of winning or losing. I think when you have really, really big numbers, and this is this is why this is interesting because of the sort of psychological point of view rather than just economic. When you see a number, you've got a, I don't know, an eight million chance in one. Of, it's such a big number, you just go, I heard eight, eight thousand, whatever it is. You just can't compute it, can you? It's just too big to take on yes. board. So you go, I yeah, have yeah. a chance. That's the best I can imagine. Bosh, I'm in. Does that make yeah. sense? Is that right? Or am I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree. I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Just, just one last thing. I just kind of wanted to make the point because there's two points, aren't there? You talk about value in decision making mm. and utility. And correct me if I'm wrong. As I understand it, value is kind of, you know, it, it's the monetary value. If you like the numbers value, say of your snake eyes decision, which could equal a certain amount of money. Mm. And then there's utility, which again, this is the, this the psychological component you know, how useful is this to you? As in, I get a buzz from it. That is, that is, that's mm. a utility value. Am I getting that right? Yeah, although, I, I mean, you know, different, unfortunately, uh, the literature is not uh, entirely uh, consistent. So sometimes these, these terms are used interchangeably. I mean, I tend to, when I talk about these things, I tend to uh, use value for the, you know, sort of cold, uh, hard monetary value and utility for you know what is it worth to me my subjective sometimes people uh this instead of value they say utility and instead of utility they say subjective utility um, so, so but so, so in general the distinction i suppose is between sort of on the one hand the objective thing out there in the world um and Really, money is probably one of the one of the few things where, where where it makes sense to talk about this thing of value that we can all agree, and the subjective utility dimension, which will be different for 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 different people. You know, because we 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 have different values. We have value things differently. It's, it's using this sort of way of making decisions is you know I can totally understand that with you know playing the lottery. Um, making gambling decisions but I suppose the obvious thought that sprang to mind and we talked about it earlier was before we started the interview was the more emotional decisions you know hmm. every, every people want to get into a relationship they want to make a decision am I with the right is this the right person for me it's quite difficult to put that down to strikes me you know probabilities and odds and calculations and it's very very, very subjective and often has some very strange quirks of the way we make those decisions. I wonder if you could speak mm. about that. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, arguably any decision is, a, is about emotion really, because it's, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, there's feelings at the, at the other side of the decision. I mean, most of the time we don't think about it. If you know, if you decide, do I have honey or or jam on my toast? You know, well, okay. I mean, there's some feeling, you know, I, you know, the taste and the, you know, whatever from from that. But you know, it's it's probably a fairly low level and it doesn't really register. But you know, yeah, should I should I enter into a relationship with this person? Should I should I leave this person? You mentioned um, I don't know whether it was before we started the. Um, the recording you know abusive relationship should i stay in the you know why do i stay in the abusive relationship these sorts of uh, much more complex decisions um and so what i would argue is these decisions are often difficult because there are different drivers different values that are conflicting you know so so um you know, should I should I enter a relationship with this person? You know, so there might be, you know, we we really like this person, we're attracted to them. That pulls us in one way, and then there might be sort of other, you know. But my friends say, do you really want to be with this person? Or they have no money, or whatever, or they live far away, um, and that that creates a conflict, and that's where decisions get difficult, where we where we can get stuck and and become paralyzed. And so those, in a way, are exactly the kinds of scenarios where this approach, 
that I outlined in, in, in the lecture that you, you refer to can be really, really helpful um, because what it allows us to do is to make these sort of hidden values as explicit as we can. So what is it exactly you know that that you value about this this person and how much do you how much do you value it can we can we somehow quantify it and that's that's where the psychological expertise come comes in because it's not easy you know i i couldn't say well danny on a scale from one to 100 how much do you love your wife <laughs> that'd be a bit that'd be a bit odd um but but in effect that's at the end of the day that's what it will boil down to it and and bizarre as it may sound it is possible to do that we can we can you know if we if we put enough effort into it we can put numbers onto those things so that eventually we can end up in a situation where where we have made all of these things explicit and then sort of a decision will sort of almost present itself and it will become apparent what is the right decision what can also happen, and that's very interesting, is that we, we go through all this, you know, with a, um, a, you know, somebody that we're advising, that we go through all of these steps, everything has come up, you know, and the sort of formal analysis says the best decision is this, and it doesn't accord with our gut instinct. And then we pause. So it doesn't mean that our it doesn't necessarily mean that the gut instinct is wrong. It doesn't mean that that the decision is wrong, but it just means somewhere there's a mismatch. So it could be that the gut instinct missed something that we or it could be that in our kind of like bringing everything to the light, we've overlooked something or we very often what it, what 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 um happens with these things is how we weigh different dimensions you know because a complex complex decision um there are many dimensions you know if you if you want to buy a, you know which car should i buy you know there's many attributes that are important price age uh, fuel consumption you know these kinds of things and they will for different people will have different weightings you know um, and so we might, we might, there's many things that we, we can potentially get wrong. So we can tweak our formal analysis and see, well, you know, if, if maybe I underestimated how uh, difficult I will find it to have a long-term relationship. What about if I, if I, you know, change that a little bit, does that change the decision? Yes or no. So, so basically, what this process then enables us to do is is to come to a better and better understanding of really how we think and feel about the decision and you say people can do this as in people do this on their own or this is something people would do with a, a therapist or a coach or something like this but what, what do you mean by well i mentioned before so um you know there's there are decision consultants out there mm. and so in my in in the a module that I teach that's it's our students learn how to do this and and so there's a piece of coursework attached to the to the module where they have to do a formal analysis on a personal decision that they're about to make not a decision that they've already made but you know this decision is coming up in my life and I'm going to do you know a, and it's like a big a big piece of work where they go completely formal on it and, and go through all of these steps um, to come up come up uh, with uh, with what is the best decision for them. And it's an it's an iterative process, so it's not like you know, bosh, job done. You know, it's you know, they have to cycle through it a few times, most of the time. And I want to come back to this because I'm I'm really interested by this this process. But I'm just going to stick a little bit with the relationship thing because it's so 
it strikes me as so subjective and partly why I'm thinking, mm. I think not just a relationship, but quite a lot of things in our life. You know, humans are incredibly complex. Much of what we do is <clears throat> buried deep down in our unconscious, in particular relationships. I mean, I'm not, I'm far from an expert on psychotherapy and psychoanalysis, but there's all these sort of arguments that a lot of who we choose is sort of based on this sort of Freudian ideas of, you know, you were brought up with a mum and dad who were like this and you might choose characteristics on what you've been normalized to uh, as in your upbringing that's not always healthy because you may have been brought up in an awful family life but that normalizes you to this and you may find those traits in your partner you might find them attractive because that's not Hmm. and it's this this one's it it may be very very difficult to make those those things explicit and to make decisions on them am i right or do you think that's uh Well, um, I think so. I, th- I think that's a, a slightly different question. So, because because if I understood your correctly, what you were saying, it's kind of like, well, why why do I always end up with you know a person like this? You know, a person that you know that's abusive or something like that. Um, what you know, that's that's not quite what we're doing. It's more like. you know, going forward, what is the best choice? I mean, so there is probably psychology will have a lot to say about why do, why do I always make this choice? Mm. Um, uh, but it's, that isn't, um, that isn't something that I, I concern myself mm. okay. all that much with, I mean, but you're absolutely right. I mean, there are lots of unconscious drivers you know things that that we're not necessarily aware of habit familiarity um you know basic uh desire for security and 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 these sorts of things absolutely yes and you know not necessarily about abusive relationships but yeah just so much stuff that we're just unaware of that drives us not just in relationship choices, mm, perhaps in yeah. choices and friendship yeah, choices. Yeah. It will be very, yeah. and I, I'm, I'm partly trying to relate it to this, say, you know, you're saying the, these iterative processes you can use to make decisions. Uh, you know, I, I suppose I'm thinking, well, if you don't have the facts to hand, if you don't understand your drivers, how would you make Yeah, yeah, How would you make oh, okay. them? I, I, I see. Because I mean? it's so unconscious. Yeah, yeah, I get it. So, so basically, what we're doing in in this uh, decision, it's called decision analysis process, is um, we would go through a process where we ask the client, the decision maker, what matters. You know what, you know what are the dimensions that are really important uh, in this decision, and. And how do the different options, where do they sit on these different dimensions? And, and you know, as we said before, that's not trivial, but, but it, we can do it. Um, and then, and, and then and what, are, what are the likelihoods? You know, what are the, the probabilities of, of, of the outcomes? And again, very often that's, you know, not known. It's not like, a, you know, we roll the dice and we know it's one over six, but we can, we can get a better than random understanding of, of what the likelihoods might be. And then we may come to the, the analysis then might say the, the best decision based on this, what you've given me is this. And, it, and this, is, this is the situation that I, I referred to before, and that might not sit well with you. Right. So you might say, whoa, but you know, somehow that doesn't feel right. And then we go back and then maybe, maybe you, can ref- you as the decision maker can reflect and say, what's missing here? Mm. So I think what also is important is this. So very often then what, what can happen is that basically it, it, it brings these, it helps to bring these unconscious things to the light. And the other thing that, that this sort of more formal approach can do is um, sort of stop us from falling into those holes. If we, if we make sort of the intuitive, intuitive kind of quick decisions, very often we use shortcuts you know, we just do the thing that we've always done, you know, or we go for the short term gain, you know, these kinds of things. And if we if we pause and we we go through the effort, um, then, you know, we, we dramatically reduce the chance for these sort of 
biases to pull us in one way or the other. As I understand it, it's again staying with this example of something that's so deeply subjective. You're not saying that you're necessarily going to get at all these unconscious drivers, but rather than just glossing over them, which is what we often do, you can bring enough of it to light to make a much more informed decision. It's going to be that's a much right. better and, decision. That's right. And, and you know, the, the unconscious drivers, maybe some of those you don't actually want. You know, maybe some of them probably will be good, but some of them will be things that aren't actually serving serving you. Like, you know, if, if you just go for what's familiar by default, you know, or, you know, yeah, the, the, the kind of like the easiest option or these, these whatever, whatever it is, the kind of sometimes these unconscious drivers, um, they're not useful sometimes sometimes they may be and so by by making it formal so there might be a place for yes let's bring the unconscious the thing that we didn't think about explicitly let's bring that to the light and other times it it, it might be let's you know just cut that out okay okay just a little bit more on this and i don't know if this is your field but i i think something we, we've mentioned a couple of times before we were talking about earlier that when people make what we would consider obviously bad decisions and we've referred to you know abusive relationships somebody stays in an abusive relationship everybody in the out, from the outside will go what are you doing why are you staying with this person this is mm -hmm. this is physically and emotionally dangerous and damaging and yet we've seen it you know they make the decision over and over again to stay in that relationship mm -hmm. Or it may be the same with, you know, addictions, they, uh, you know, gambling, alcoholism, drug addiction, they may clean up and they still go back to these things that are quite clearly very, very harmful. Is, is that within your field of decision making? Could you say a bit about that? Um, I can say a little bit about it. I don't, I don't know too much about it. Um, from my own sort of understanding of it, I mean, so, so one, and I think addiction, addiction is probably a special case. Yeah. Um, but I think one problem is that people often don't understand, and I don't mean this in a pejorative way, or don't know that they have a choice. I mean, how often have, have you been in situations or have you encountered people where say, well, I didn't have a choice, but well, we almost always have a choice. Um, you know, when, you know, you know, I don't have a choice to do my homework. Well, you do, actually. You know, you know, nobody's standing behind you with a gun to your head. Um, and even then, actually, you have a choice. <laughs> you still have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just so so very often people pretend, and I want to be careful in how I say this. It's it's very often it's more comfortable, kind of like to to sort of surrender responsibility to somebody else and act as if there is no choice because then you can't make a mistake if there's no you know if there's no choice then you cannot make the wrong it wasn't choice. your fault i got you yeah. it's not yeah. your fault yeah, okay. and so i think um and then that's one thing and the other the other is that sometimes people uh think there is a choice but it's actually the wrong choice. It's the, the choice that they're thinking about isn't actually, you know, the choice that they have. So, so for instance, just to give you an example on that one, um, I mentioned earlier that our students have to do this coursework about the, you know, decision. So if I have a student in, you know, the final year of the course and they, they say, I want to do, you know, um, the decision analysis on the career decision. Should I, should I become a clinical psychologist or, should I um, work in business? Well, that's a nice kind of like thought exercise for, for them to make. But at that point, that's not a decision for them to make because they haven't got an offer. Nobody has, at that point, they haven't got an offer. They haven't been accepted onto the clinical program. They haven't got a job offer in business. So the real choice that they have is, should I expend time and effort to apply for the clinical psychology program, or should I expend time and effort to apply 
for a job in business. And actually, I can do both, perhaps. And then maybe there isn't even a conflict. And the choice then comes once I have one, once I have more than one offer, or or I have an offer and I either accept it or I decline it. So, so I think very often what's lacking is a clarity on whether there is a decision or or what the decision is. I think what you're saying, that's really interesting, very interesting. It, it's more about the quality of your questions than your decisions. Yeah, and, yeah. There's and a you're, you're asking the wrong question then, that you need to ask a few, you know, a few questions before you get that's really interesting. Yeah, it's that yeah, clarity, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing, you know, going back to the abusive relationships, I suspect, and I don't know whether there is research to back, back this up, I, but I suspect very often, you know, it's, things like i mean actually there is research to back this up uh, you know people we we like what is familiar and you know the the um there's this thing called the status quo effect where you know moving away from from what we currently have is very difficult so you know very often in abusive relationships um come with a certain you know there might be economic security you know that the partner you know partner is earning an income and if i walk away from that then you know i i you know i'm might be materially worse off so so i so that's a loss um and 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 um that loss will be weighed we know this so there is research on that that giving something up you know is is kind of more difficult or is is overvalued compared to gaining the same thing so 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 to to make this um very simple <laughs> if you um imagine the pleasure that you experience if you if, if you walk out of the house now and found 10 pounds on the floor uh, you know that'll make you happy that's great um and you know you compare that to you look in your you know you had 10 pounds in your wallet you look and it's gone so you've just miraculously lost 10 pounds most likely you know you'll be more upset about losing the 10 pounds than you'd be happy about gaining the 10 pounds so this is losses loom larger than gains is kind of like the jargon for that and the, as a consequence of that is that um, people are very reluctant to depart from the status quo. It takes a lot, basically, for them to move away from where they currently are. Yeah, I remember years ago seeing something on documentary about something about the neurobiology. I think it was success and failure and loss and gain, and that the, the chemicals that were released through loss and failure were just, you know, deeply unpleasant for people to experience, and didn't seem to be quite as good as the buzz you'd get from success. And it makes people very, very loss averse. Yes, I, I actually, I recently listened, listened to a podcast. Okay. Well, <laughs> I learned something <laughs> where, where I learned something new um, that um, actually, uh, you know, if, if we want to motivate ourselves to do something, um, let's say, you know, a fitness goal, you know, um, we could imagine what it's like if we succeed. So I'll have the perfect beach body. Um, and that's, you know, probably a pretty good motivator. But actually, what's even more powerful is if we imagine failure, what is it like? What what are things going to be like if I don't exercise and I continue to to be this unshapely person who I really don't want that? And that's apparently a much more powerful motivator. Yeah, really? Yeah, than, than imagining the positive outcome. So that, that I found that really surprising. Uh, there was you mentioned this the status quo effect as well and I, I think you said something in your lecture about which is really interesting about how companies use this status quo effect mm, yeah, the yeah. they promote things and sort of loss gain and the way they promote it so it's a, yeah yeah it's, manipulates people into buying things can you say a bit yeah i mean that's that's a, a really old kind of marketing trick is basically the default the default option mm. so um and you have this uh, in in uh, in all sorts of uh, scenarios where like you know um you buy something online and then you know you you kind of like you 
you all you also get this you know and you just click okay and then they sell you know the upsell kind of thing i mean the most powerful example actually of the status quo effect comes in the context of organ donation so <clears throat> um there's this thing you know uh where in many countries organ donation is sort of linked to people's driver's licenses that on on your driver's license there's a kind of indicator of whether if you have a fatal traffic traffic accident whether your organs can be har harvested for donations for donation and um obviously you cannot in civilized countries you cannot force people people have a right to, to choose this but in some countries it's an opt-in system and in other countries it's an opt-out system so the default either is you know you're not an organ donor until you, unless you explicitly tell us so or we assume you're an organ donor but you can tell us if you don't want to be and not surprisingly the number of registered organ donors in opt in uh, sorry in opt-out countries is dramatically higher um so that, that's a that's a great example of the status quo effect um because you know it, in this in this instance people you know most people probably don't care very much about it um but if the if the status quo is i'm not an organ donor and i have to go through an effort to become an organ donor then I might think about, well, do I really want this? I mean, well, what would my relatives say? You know, I'm thinking about all the negatives for that. And then and and I might not, you know, I might not do it. Whereas if the status quo is I'm an organ donor, well, do I really want to, you know, drop out of that? You know, do I want to be a selfish person who like, you know, um, you know, so so giving up something is, you know, is always um valued greater compared to sort of the, the the flip side the other side so so um giving up the good feeling of being an organ donor in in the opt-out situation will value higher will have greater influence than the potential gain of you know whatever it is my my relatives won't won't be mad or you know whatever it is and how, how can people use knowing the status quo effect? You know, how, how can they spot it when they're, say, buying things online? Because you, you, as you mentioned, it's quite common that the way they use this. How can you? Yeah, that? just just. I think it's just sort of being aware of it that you know I'm being, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm being suckered in here. So it, it, know, it, it's more a sense of watch out for you if you're being told, oh, you'll loot yeah. if you don't do. Yeah, and and sometimes sometimes it's a little bit more subtle than that you know um so so i think just what we tell our students is just sort of like especially with important decisions just kind of like ask yourself you could ask yourself is there you know in this situation is is there is there any kind of way that the status quo effect could could be applying here is there what is the status quo what what's the default here am i am i kind of like subconsciously drawn to the default but I mean, not not all decisions have defaults. But basic, but whenever there's a default, right? Basically, you can ask yourself, okay, what? A, you you could also ask yourself, what about if the default was the other thing? What would I then choose? Okay. Do, do you do your students report becoming better decision makers? Well, I don't know that they report that, but certainly that the feedback that they give at the end of the module is many of them say that they find it a very useful module and they feel they've they've learned something for you know ma making making better decisions in life. Yeah. And what about yourself? Do you how do you how do you apply all this stuff in in your daily life? Because you've been working with this for a long time now. I have, yeah. Um, well, sometimes I feel I need to take more of my own medicine. My wife sometimes gives me a hard time of, um, you know, I'm the worst decision maker she knows. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, I think so. What I've learned is is it's very easy to to be drawn into these you know so i'm i'm not immune to any of these kind of fallacies you know just like anybody else i'm i'm you know equally susceptible 
and it does require an effort to shine a light on it. But then, then when I kind of catch myself and think about it, then, oh yeah, here we go again. And would you sit sometimes and do that sort of mathematics, those probabilities? And... Um, I haven't in a long time, but yeah, if, if there was um, a choice like that, I, yeah, I would probably, I would do it. Yeah. I mean, that, that was only one thing. I, I, I'm, I'm terrible with numbers. And I remember thinking, that's a really good calculation. It's a really good thing to do. But I got lost at about the oh, second but the, point. The, the, <laughs> the, the actual, the mathematics. And I mean, that, I say that in the first lecture in the course. It is very, very easy. I mean, it's it's really as simple as, you know, if, if you know that a, what a probability is and that the probability is a value between zero and one, that's all you need to right, know. Okay. Oh. <laughs> and then multiplication and addition, that's all you need to do. <laughs> right, yeah, they're really basic. So the math, yeah. the math is not the complicated bit. Sure. You, but, you know, it's it's a little bit more difficult when we get to, you know, what what is the likelihood that, you know, if I take this job that in three years I will be promoted well that's a difficult question but we can we will we would be able to get a handle on it that's kind of better than a coin flip if we if we work on it hard enough and in fact there's there's something you mentioned but before when we were talking earlier about there are there are individuals and companies out there who, who specialize in decision making and mm. things like career choices or at a corporate level if you're making a you know much mm -hmm. bigger decision could, could you talk a little bit about i'd never heard of that before yeah i mean i it's something that i yeah so it's called it, i mean it's called i suppose decision consulting um and there is big money to be made um you know um so that, yeah, there are companies who specialize in that. You can hire them basically as consultants um, to, to, to do this sort of work. Um, I don't know what else I can say no, about I was, it. I was, you know, do, do they, presumably they've got some sort of thing that says I'm qualified to be a decision maker. Is it because they've got a degree? Well, yeah, I mean, so what I do know is some, some of the people, you know, in, in the, some of the great kind of minds in, the psychology of decision making have started companies like that and run you know run these sorts of businesses in addition to distinguished careers in you know at, in universities so yeah so so yeah, yeah. i mean you know, traditionally we've gone to people with headscarves on and they've read your tea leaves and your tarot and, and they've charged for that so I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> they've got a lot more to it than that they've got some sort of mathematical and you know, is there a degree in decision making or anything like that? Is it? Um, something? Yeah. So, so you, you can. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, there, there are degree. You can do uh, master's degrees in, in decision making. Yeah. And, and if somebody somebody wanted to make a, a career choice that they would be able to phone somebody up and say, I need you to help me with my. my um... Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you and I know each other through the coaching course, and and you mm. said before that there are decision coaches. There are coaches who will help you with the decision making. You talked about that. Yeah, so I think I think that there's probably um, quite a sort of natural sort of fit for um, decision making and coaching. I mean, coaching, as you know, is kind of like very much the responsibility lies with the client the client you know has a particular goal and the coach elicits a way forward for the client um in this case the goal would be a decision um arguably there's probably a, a role for some consultancy then where where you know the there's some tools that i would show you know the client you know here, here's some tools you know, go away and, and use them and then come back. And then what does that mean? I think though, where the, where the kind of like potentially the biggest kind of sort of way in for coaching is with this is what we talked about earlier in kind of like framing what is, what is actually, what is actually the goal here? What is, what is actually, you know, what is the decision that you actually need to make? You come saying, you know, you need to make this decision, but is that really the decision that you need to make? 
right so or is it or is it a is it a decision that you that's yours to make so it's using those coaching questions those facilitating questions to get more clarity on what people actually really want before they even start making a decision yeah Brilliant. and then i mean you know depending on, on what the situation is i would imagine that then there is also room for coaching to help them with the follow-through if it's a really difficult decision you know i mean if we've we've we come back to this terrible example of the abusive relationship you know you know that that's if somebody came to the decision or it might not even be a, an abusive relationship to walk away from a relationship that might not be easy and they might need they might need uh you know the help of a coach to to follow through with it if that's what they want i guess to a certain extent virtually all coaching is decision making isn't it it's, it's goal setting a goal and how do you get to it and getting clarity on that goal yeah and, and deciding what is you know the, the the client decides which action or actions bring them closest to the goal yeah absolutely yeah Mark, last thing. Just a couple of hints and tips. One hint or something for, for those people listening in. What's, what's a, the best thing we can do to help us become better decision makers? Well, I think, um, well, there's decisions and decisions. So, you know, um, the kind of like the trivial everyday decisions, you know, like, cornflakes or cereal for breakfast you know, it's, 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 you know sorry cereal or toast for breakfast and that kind of stuff probably not agonizing over them too much um but the kind of the the decisions that are potentially important um or in 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 those situations where we habitually do things and we think like well you know <laughs> why do i do that probably the number one thing is to to just be more mindful, try to bring awareness to it of what it is that we're doing. So asking, you know, so a reflective attitude, asking yourself questions, you know, what is it that's driving me here? I think that's probably uh, going to be really, really helpful. So just just before jumping in, before to go, yeah, I'll do that. Go, hold on a sec. Let's, let's just pause here and have a really good think about this yeah particularly when it's when it's something you know a consequential decision i mean i mean <laughs> a classic example of course and i've i've done it many times you know is the angry email that you sent <laughs> you know, yeah, sure. that's, that's a classical now i've learned i'm writing it and i'm gonna park it and i'm gonna come back the next day <laughs> do i do i really want to send this 24 hours exactly just let it sit <laughs> Yes, yes. Brilliant. Yeah. Have you ever met anybody you've just thought, you know, know, knowing what you know about this decision making process of psychology? Have you ever met people or a group of people who just think, wow, that person is just incredible decision making? Is that something that comes up or not really? Um, yeah, um, yeah, so, sure. I mean, where people, when they, yeah i mean so i can tell you on a feeling level yes but i actually i can't I, I i'm struggling to think of a particular example of a particular person but i certainly have been in situation where i i admired the decisiveness of of um the particular person i think okay they've kind of like looked at everything you know and understood okay this is going to be a compromise you know what is you know what is the best way forward here? We've got, um, yeah, actually, no, I, 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 now I can think of a situation um, and it was in work where I, um, it was kind of like almost, you know, I, I screwed up uh, with something with an admin responsibility that I had. I missed something, you know, I, a critical email that I, I would have needed to send to share some, you know, news about um, an opportunity with colleagues. And I just, I just missed it. 
um, and I, um, it was a long time later that I realized, and I um, went to, to my line manager and said, you know, shit, I screwed up here. Um, and basically then there were a number of ways, how, of ways forward. And I was just very impressed with her in terms of like thinking it through, okay, so what is it that we can do? Because I was, I was still kind of like trapped in this thing. Oh my God, I messed up. This is terrible, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, because she was detached from it, she could just ask me those questions. Okay, so what exactly happened? And, you know, what is it that we can do now? We can do this, 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 and this. What are the advantages and disadvantages of these different options? Okay, you know, well, I think we should do this. And then all of a sudden, you know, yeah, there was, there was clarity. It also helped, you know, that <laughs> she just said, well, you know, this happened. <laughs> You know, there's shit happens. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, now we need to make the best of it. And she didn't give me a hard time. You see, I, I, I think you're something we haven't mentioned at all, actually. And you're reminding me when you're talking about, I'm thinking of people who I've gone, wow, that's, they're, they're really good at decisions. And one of the qualities I tend to notice of people I think are good at, they're not necessarily, it, it's the speed at which they make difficult decisions. Yeah. But, but we can all make good decisions. I tend to sort of, go, oh, I'll just maybe I'll put it off for a bit because I'm not quite sure because of the last year and then I'll think about it a bit. And as I get older, I'm getting faster at it. But you get, particularly some managers and stuff, who can just be very quick and very fast in their decision-making. They have a sense of certainty about it. Mm. And also sometimes they get it wrong and they're kind of okay with that. Yeah, but it was better than doing nothing. Yeah. But they have a speed about them, don't they? Yeah, and I, I wonder... Um whether to some extent that also comes from a certain degree of detachment you know if they're not caught up in it if they're not at the cold face of um you know the things that they can just sort of as it were receive the facts and kind of like relate them you know rationally to one another and say okay based on the information i have this is you know this is the best way i think this is the best way forward yeah Whereas if you're if you're caught up in it, um, you know it, it's a lot harder um, to have that clarity. Yeah, and I, th I think there's a certain amount as well. Because certainly, advice I had been given not that long ago, which works, is sometimes it's better to make a not great decision than no decision at all. You know, I always put my head in the sand for years, and actually sometimes it's better just to do something, proceed, and then okay, that didn't work. We'll, we'll, we'll make another decision, then we'll make another, another decision. But at least we're proceeding. At least we're moving forward. Yeah, I mean, the decision, so so I guess the way you can think about it is not doing, that, that not doing something is also a decision. Yeah. yeah. You know, you decide not to do something, and sometimes that might be the right thing. You know, I decide to not do anything and, and wait for more information. But, but very often, you know, um, then you, so, so I've been in situations like that with other people where, you know, they didn't want to make a decision. And I said, well, you know, but if you wait, what, what will change? Mm. Uh, well, actually nothing. Well, okay, then, you know, do you like sitting with not having made it? Do you like sitting with this uncertainty? No, I don't. Well, okay, then, you know, well, let's make a decision now. Mm. Then you feel at least feel better. And yeah, you're absolutely right. So, I mean, and it's not, it's not just to go back to where we started. You know, it's not necessarily about getting it wrong. You know, you make a decision and you get a bad outcome. That doesn't necessarily mean that the decision was bad. Yeah. It might just so be that we were unlucky, but, or, or it might be that we learned something, you know, we get, we then get feedback that helps us understand for next time round. Okay. So maybe, you know, and, and sort of like to go back to the formal system, the feedback might help us to next time round have a better understanding of the probabilities you know so maybe we underestimated the likelihood of of this to happen you know something like that so it's feedback and we learn and, and also i think something you're talking about there is there's a difference between intentionally not making a decision and unintentionally not making a decision out of fear mm. or procrastination yeah, there's yeah. a big difference between those and you know your really nice coaching question about what will change 
okay, well, nothing will change. QED, oh, you know, whatever. But you, you'll make an intentional decision. That's very different, isn't it? I think it's going to be too scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just putting it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we can get it wrong, and and there's these, and so yeah, I think as you say, that goes very neatly back to the bit, the very beginning of the conversation. It's about knowing what is a good decision, and you know, versus a good outcome and a bad outcome. And I think having that in mind is really, really important to 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 move forward, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mark, this this has been really interesting. And anything else you'd like to add? Anything else you'd like to say? Um, no, not really. I mean, thanks, thanks very much for having me. This was a, a very uh, stimulating, interesting uh, um, discussion. No, it's, it's been fascinating. Thank you so much for taking the time out and sharing some of your expertise. So, uh, it's been brilliant. With pleasure. Thank, thank you, Danny. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Brilliant. Thanks, Mark. I'm just going to switch it down now if I can.